Uh, just a few announcements, and then we'll continue on with the service. Um, this last Friday, the Tabor College Band was here. It was a delightful concert, and uh, so if you missed it, I'm sad for you, but uh, I do want to extend a thanks to all of you who helped out. Some of you cooked, uh, several of you hosted families, and uh, so thank you so much for that. And also a huge thanks to Pauline Queering, because she organized a lot of that. So uh, it was a good evening, so thank you for that. Uh, we want to celebrate... Where are Russ and Nancy? Today is their 46th anniversary. So, yeah, that's worth... <laughs> Congratulations, you guys. That's wonderful. Uh, also, Elma Crosley is celebrating her 99th birthday this Wednesday. And you only get to do that once. And so... Um, that's, that's kind of a, a big deal. Uh, so if, if you're interested in participating in a, ca a, a card shower for her, uh, there's some details in the bulletin. Also, uh, meals are being coordinated for Jeff and Lisa. Uh, once again, information on, on the bulletin. Uh, there's a neat kind of online deal where you can uh, find out what, what days are open and sort of let them know what you're bringing and that kind of thing. Um, for the backpack program, we're doing, it's the end of the year, so we're kind of doing a unique thing in that we're actually preparing 17 backpacks, not the normal, like, five or six. And so it's kind of the last final push to, to send something home with all the families. If you have questions on that, talk to Teresa Goosen, and she is just a source of all knowledge on that one. And uh, if you've not had your picture taken yet, talk to Joanne. And she'll get you squared away. She'll kind of arrange a, a, a customized time just for you. So today's a good day. Uh, let's pray and we'll carry on with some singing. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to us uh, and you love us so dearly. And uh, just it's beyond our comprehension, actually. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. Lord, as we worship in music. Uh, and as we study your word, I pray that your truth would reign, that this would be a glorifying and honoring time uh, to you, Lord, and that your spirit would continue to teach us and to lead us into all truth. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, and uh, you may turn in your hymnals, page 350, if you will. There is a Redeemer.
gracious, kind Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence this morning. We just thank you for the opportunity of coming to your house unmolested and being able to worship you. And we ask if you would accept our praise and our worship this morning. We just 
our heart have such grateful hearts for the many privileges which we enjoy in this country. We pray that you would be with the pastor as he will bring the word in a little later. Give him the words to speak and give him the joy in presenting your word this morning. Thank you for each one that has come this morning, and we pray that each of us might be open to your word and to your leading this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Dustin. Well, at this point in the service, we like to carve out a little bit of space, have some prayer time, a little bit of silent prayer, and then I'll close this off. Um, uh, a couple things to, um, that I would invite you to pray for. Uh, of course, the, the missionaries that, that we support, uh, Kenton and Kedron Miller in Germany. Uh, they have a, a friend that they've been working there whose who's, um, uh, status in Germany is in question. Uh, Jason and Nicole Queering, the place where they meet, where he works, is for sale. So, of course, that's brought a lot of questions uh, into their life. Uh, and also at the international level, I, I presume you've seen this, but Nepal has suffered a horrific earthquake. Uh, this morning when I checked the news, they were at over 2,000 uh, dead. And um, so that's a lot of uh, broken and shattered lives. That's a lot of ruined infrastructure. Uh, the quake was so bad, it, uh, it triggered avalanches on Everest. Uh, there's a number of fatalities in climbing parties on, on Everest. And so um, Nepal is in rough shape. Um, and just a persecuted church uh, all around the world. Some stuff uh, we, we see and hear about, a lot of stuff we don't see and hear about. But there are brothers and sisters around the world um, who just live under considerable uh, restrictions. And um, sometimes it's a threat to business, sometimes it's a threat to livelihood, sometimes it's a threat to life. And uh, so it's good to just pray and, and intercede for them. So let's have a bit of silence. I'll let you guys pray individually. And then I'll close this off after a few moments.
Heavenly Father, we pray for those brothers and sisters of ours around the world um, who just live uh, under persecution, under restriction. We pray, Lord, for um, relief um, from that pressure. We pray for the strength to stand up under it. We pray for your grace to be strong and present. Lord, speak to us throughout the week on how to pray for them, uh, how to support them if there are certain actions that we need to take, Lord. Bring them to mind frequently. Lord, we pray for Nepal and for the families and for the rescue workers there. Um, God, so much pain and sorrow uh, in such a quick time. Yeah, we pray for safety. We pray for families. We pray for those who are who are going in to help, Lord. Um, for those who, who bring in material aid and those who bring in spiritual truth and comfort. Um, we pray for them during this time. Lord, we have a lot of uh, blessings here uh, in Nebraska, in North America. May we not take those for granted. Um, may we appreciate uh, the way that you have provided for us. Uh, but we, may we not become lazy or complacent uh, or ignorant of what's going on around the world, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Back when I was working at Trek, one day one of my coworkers, John Best, comes into my office and he says, I signed us up for a webinar. And I was like, uh, what's a webinar? <laughs> and he goes, well, it's kind of like a seminar, but it's done over the internet. So it's, uh, you know, it's done over the web. So it's a webinar. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, so he signed us up. And I don't even know if he knew what the topic was. I think it just kind of sounded cool and interesting to, to do this thing. And both of us were working with the Trek program, and, and we had been doing it for a couple years now, so, you know, we're, we're feeling pretty confident that, that we kind of understand what's going on and some of the big picture stuff, and we've, you know, that we got a pretty good grasp on this and that kind of thing. And uh, so, you know, we click on to this, this webinar, you know, this was like a couple days later, right? And it always takes about five minutes to get the microphone figured out and what's going on on their end and that kind of thing. And, and we had no idea who was talking or what the topic was. 
but so the guy leading it comes online and you know and it's and he just talks for a little bit and then his opening question was he goes um and this is to you know to to discipleship mission programs all over right like that's kind of the the geared audience is all these discipleship short-term missions programs and the guy comes on and he goes uh so what's your ransom policy and John and I just kind of leaned back and we're like, our, our what? <laughs> like, uh, you know, we thought we kind of had this thing figured out. And we just, I had never even gone there in my mind on what's our ransom policy. And uh, we, we had no idea. I mean, later on, you know, we went to, you know, some of the brass kind of higher up on the food chain. And we're like, hey, do we have a ransom policy? And they're like. Uh, there might be something in a handbook somewhere written in the 80s. And, um, but actually, it's it actually kind of interesting. I mean, that led into uh, some other discussions and some training, I think, a little bit that happened with the long-term missionaries. And we thought through some stuff and watched a couple videos. Uh, it's, there's uh, some interesting stuff on ransom policy and dealing with uh, kidnappings and that kind of thing. The, the people who did the seminar... Uh, they're, it's, they're still in business. It's called um, a Crisis Consulting International, and it is a nonprofit organization based out of California. And it's made up of like ex-cops and FBI and I don't know CIA or I don't know who all they got on their roster. But it, and they do like risk assessment and that kind of thing. But one of the other things they do is that if you have someone who has been kidnapped in a foreign country, they will show up. Uh, no charge to you, and then they will act as the negotiators with the kidnappers in in the foreign country. And this was uh, maybe like in the uh, 90s, I think he, he told a story about um, they had been working for two years to get a guy back. There were, uh, this guy had been in Afghanistan. Uh, he had been kidnapped, captured. And uh, what would happen is that they would negotiate with the warlord who had him, but then after a while, that warlord would sell him to, to a different warlord. And so then they would have to start negotiations all over. Because for them, it's just kind of a business deal, right? And so they would start new negotiations with this new warlord. And then after a while, he got sold again to, to another one. And he, he kind of kept getting sold and resold. And so they would just have to start all these negotiations all over. And eventually, they were able to, you know, to bring this guy back. But it was about you know, two years later before they, they got him back. But when you, when you speak of ransom, by default, you are speaking of imprisonment, uh, you're speaking of captivity, uh, you're talking about being held against your will, um, sometimes we're even talking about prison, right? Uh, and so now we're not just talking about prison, but now we're talking about like uh, convict, felon, uh, rap sheet, right? Um, if the word ransom is being used to describe your situation, then, then you were or you are in a pretty bad place. You are being held somewhere against your will. Um, you're just in a bad position, right? Ransom is also synonymous with the word redeemed, which is how God describes you in the opening verses of Ephesians. Uh, if you've missed the last couple weeks, we are just starting a, a series on Ephesians. Uh, the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, deal with your identity in Christ. And our theme word for those first few verses is sit or seated. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? Um, then, the book of Ephesians, written by Paul, uh, chapters 4 and 5 deal with your interaction with the world. And the theme word there is to walk. How do you walk in the world? And then the last part of chapter 6 is your interactions with the enemy or Satan and his kingdom whatever terminology you you, want to use on that one. And there the theme word is stand. How is it that you stand against the enemy, right? So Ephesians very much has three distinct parts. And kind of our key theme words as we're moving through this is seated. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? How do we walk in the world? And how do you stand against the enemy? And the sequence of those is very, very important. You cannot stand until you learn to walk. And you cannot walk until you learn what it means to be seated. Understanding your identity in Christ is foundational, paramount, critical, important. Pick an adjective. You got to have that squared away 
before you can do the walking and before you can do the standing. So we're only in Ephesians chapter 1, so we're still in, in the, the sitting part of things. Uh, last week, we, were, we, were, we looked at a word to describe your identity, and we looked at adopted, all right? We are adopted. Uh, all the world is, is kind of an orphanage uh, in God's eyes. Uh, this week, we're looking at three different words. We're going to look at the word redeemed, uh, which is kind of another word for ransom. Uh, we're going to look at inheritance and what kind of inheritance you have. And we're going to talk about sealed, how you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning none of this can be taken from you. Um, Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 14 is what we're looking at today. And it's, it, it's a remarkable story. Like, if you look at these words and, and kind of follow them through to their conclusion, these opening verses, kind of verses 7 to 14, they're, they're, they're a story of rags to riches. It is a remarkable story of, trans, of transformation, of, you know, going from orphaned and imprisoned to, you know, a wealthy heir who, who has this huge uh, inheritance they're receiving, someone who's adopted, someone who's redeemed, someone who's sealed. I'm going to uh, read this section now. Uh, Ephesians 1, I'm starting in verse 7. I'm going to go to uh, the end of verse 14. I'm reading it uh, in the uh, ESV version. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, if, you, if you brought up 15 preachers, they'd tell you 15 different things, and they'd all be true. Uh, but for today, for now, we're looking at uh, those three words of redemption, inheritance, and sealed. Um, Ephesians 1, starting all the way back in verse 3 to 14, uh, constitutes one of the most complete statements about Christian doctrine to be found uh, anywhere. Uh, in the Greek, it is just one long, continuous thought. Paul did these ridiculous run-on sentences. It got me so much trouble in grammar, but I don't know. He, he was in the Bible, so he got away with it. Um, King James actually makes all 11 verses one sentence uh, somehow. Uh, this section of Scripture speaks of Father, Lordship, election, sanctification, foreordination, adoption, grace, redemption, atonement, forgiveness of sins, dispensation of Christ, God's ultimate purpose in history, stewardship of the believer, gospel of the good news, salvation, Holy Spirit. And that's not even the full list. That's just kind of the highlights. Um, it begins and ends with praise for God. Verse 3 opens up with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 ends with, To the praise of His glory. This section also references all three parts of the Spirit the Trinity. The spiritual blessings that are granted to believers are by the Father's choosing, they are through the Son's redemptive work, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It also occurs over 30 times in the book of Ephesians that we are in Christ, which is this, this idea of seated in Christ, of our identity in Christ. Uh, first section, verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Uh, scripture uses the word redeemed. Um, you know, it... Each kind of 
discipline kind of has their own vocab going on, right? Like you talk to scientists and they have their own words that no one else knows what they mean. And you talk to accountants and they kind of have their own group of words that no one else really knows what we're talking about. And lawyers and doctors have got heaps of them. Uh, within Christianity, we have a few of these as well, too. Redeemed is kind of one of those. Uh, we really only talk about redeemed when we're talking about coupons, which really isn't that helpful into understanding our, our place in Jesus. Um, and so that's why the, the word ransom is just so helpful. Uh, but it, it implies that we were held prisoner, that we were unable to secure our own freedom. And so an external entity, stronger than us, stronger than our bondage, entered into the situation and paid for our release. In Scripture, the word redemption is primarily built around one concept, and that is to buy back from slavery, most notably slavery from sin. You know, the, the contemporary view is that God really doesn't take sin seriously, uh, you know, or that there's no kind of reason to fret about it, it, you know, it's all forgiven. Sin, our sin, our, our willful commitment of sin, is what sent Christ to the cross. To buy us back from sin, God had to send His Son. He had to pour out His wrath upon Him. He had to shed His blood. He had to raise Him from the dead. Nothing could speak louder about how, how seriously God views the problem of sin. God cannot just kind of wink at sin or just kind of give us some cheeky nod and tell us to be on our way. Uh, to redeem us, to ransom us, required a perfect sacrifice in our place. And so one member of the triune God stepped in and fulfilled that role. And because Jesus substituted himself for us, we're now able to be reconciled or reconnected with God. If there is no Jesus in your life, there is no reconciliation with God. You cannot have one without the other. A few other verses on redeemed, on reconciliation. I always like to look at other verses just so we can kind of get some of the, the bigger picture on, on what Scripture is saying about this topic. Um, uh, right away, back in Exodus, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Another key word there from last week. Colossians, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There we see it connected with two different kingdoms. Titus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. First Peter, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. First Corinthians, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, somewhere in, in the history of Christianity, uh, there was kind of this line of thinking that developed that, that when Scripture speaks of ransomed or, or redeemed or bought with a price, uh, somehow that God was making a, a payment to, to Satan and that he was buying us out of Satan's grasp and into God's kingdom. And fortunately, we've kind of worked away from that and kind of corrected it. Uh, in, in the present age... Uh, Satan still has a lot of influence. He still has a lot of power. In fact, Jesus himself calls Satan the prince of the earth, the prince of the air. Uh, so Satan has a kingdom here that he rules. But the blood of Jesus was not to pay off Satan. 
The blood of Jesus was to pay off the wrath of God. That's an important thing to, to keep clear in our thinking. Uh, in the future, God will take Satan and, and all of his accomplices, all unrepentant sinners. He's going to separate them from himself, put them in an awful place called hell. But Satan will not rule in hell. All right? This is not like his party zone. This is his prison. All right? He will be locked away in solitary confinement or something. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. But he is a prisoner there. He is locked up. He does not rule in hell. God the Father, the keys of heaven and hell, belong to God the Father. It is God who controls those doors. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was not a debt paid to Satan. Satan was a debt paid to God against the wrath of God that was directed at us. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you take these concepts of uh, redemption, of sin, of slavery, of ransom, or, or bought with a price of slavery to sin, and, and you kind of follow them out in your mind, kind of to their, to their logical conclusion, um, really, all of us are just ex-cons. Like, if, if you really kind of follow out that line of thinking and the implication of the words using uh, that are getting used, uh, someone paid our debt and let us all out of prison, right? See, adoption speaks to our family, but redeemed speaks to our past captivity. And in many ways, it kind of speaks to our criminal record, right? Like, church is basically AA for sinners. Like, it, it celebrate recovery for sinners. Like, we could just start each meeting with, hello, my name is Luke, I struggle with sin, you know, and then you all be like, hello, Luke. You know, and then we just kind of all go around and do the exact same thing. Um, just all of us are in a sin recovery program called church. Okay? Like, so this, this is, you don't come to church to get entertained, you know, or to feel good about yourself or to wear your best mask. Church is, I need a support group for recovering sinners, uh, and so I go to church. To be redeemed means that you and I were imprisoned by sin. Uh, someone came in, they paid our fine, they released us, and they told us to attend group therapy, which is why we're here this morning. Verse 11, moving on. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I have really enjoyed... Uh, thinking on the word inheritance. Uh, inheritance is, is powerful, that one word, because it, it succinctly sums up several important concepts. All right? And it's, inheritance is such a good word to describe this. First of all, inheritance conveys that riches are bestowed upon you. Okay? An inheritance is someone else's wealth given to you. God is so wealthy that he loves to give. Do you believe that? God is so wealthy that he loves to give. And so he gives to us from his wealth. Secondly, inheritance, uh, inheritance conveys that those riches are given to you, but only when death occurs. You, you, you don't get an inheritance until the current owner dies. Our inheritance happened... Because of the death of Christ. Inheritance implies that a death occurred. Thirdly, inheritance conveys that the previous owner wanted you to receive those riches when they died, right? Um, the, the, the things that I own, the assets that I currently own, it is designated in a will that when I pass, they will go to my wife and my children when I die. But see, I chose them... As the beneficiaries. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't just kind of by default because no one else was available. It wasn't accidental. That was intentional. When Christ named you as beneficiary of his inheritance, he had you in mind. That, that, like, that was with great forethought that he did that. According to scriptures, believers inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, the earth or the land, they inherit salvation, they inherit glory, they inherit, inherit incorruption, uh, the Holy Spirit, eternal life, 
Um, they inherit God. Uh, various New Testament sections have a different emphasis concerning inheritance. Luke talks about inheriting eternal life. Uh, Mark talks about inheriting the kingdom of God. Hebrews talks about inheriting salvation. First Peter talks about inheriting the grace of life. Psalm 2 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Scripture speaks uh, of inheritance. Um, and most of the time, though, and this is, I'm not, I haven't entirely conclusively proven this, so I might be dipping my toe in some heresy, so we'll just see how this goes. Um, but most of the time, so far as I have seen, when it talks about inheritance, it doesn't talk about something that you have earned. Okay? Inheritance is just kind of standard issue. But Scripture also speaks of rewards. And it indicates that there are some things where how you live your life will result in various rewards in heaven. And so, inheritance, when Scripture talks of inheritance, these are not earned things. This is something that you receive because you said yes to Jesus. But, there are also rewards. And those are earned. And that's based on the stewardship of how you use your life, the abilities that you were given, the opportunities that you were given, the resources that you were given, the spiritual gifts that you were using, how you used what was entrusted uniquely to you will reflect in some kind of reward in heaven. And there's a couple different verses that talk about that. So, uh, inheritance and rewards, I think, <laughs> we're talking about two different things and, and kind of implying two, two different deals. But Ephesians is talking about inheritance. Last word that we're going to look at today, uh, the word sealed. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A few other verses about sealed. Second uh, Corinthians says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, if you put a lock on something, you are attempting to secure it by force. And your hope is that the force available to you, i.e. the lock, is stronger than the force available to the robber, i.e. his crowbar. But a seal is different. A seal is security by means of ownership and authority. When, when, you, when you look at a seal, your hesitation comes not directly from power, but from the knowledge of who stands behind that seal. If I have documents that, you're, that, that you want to read, you know, and I lock them in a briefcase, you overpower the briefcase, you open the briefcase, you read the documents. If I take those same documents and I put them out in the open, but there's a little cover sheet that says, if you read these, the FBI is going to put you in prison for 20 years. Well, now that's a little different. Right? Because there's a seal, and it speaks of who stands behind it. In addition, a seal speaks of ownership. Who owns the item? Who is responsible for it? Uh, a seal can also be used to clarify authenticity, right? It is, a, it is a seal of approval. It was inspected and deemed worthy of a certain standard. If God were to just put a lock on you, it's really not that impressive. But a seal carries authority, carries authenticity, and it carries with it ownership. And if that's not good enough, the seal that he placed upon you is a living entity called the Holy Spirit, who is all-powerful, who is omnipresent, so he's everywhere at once. Uh, he is fiercely committed to carrying out the will of God, and that living entity serves as your seal. Earlier in Ephesians, we talk about adopted, all right? To be adopted is incredible. 
To be ransomed from captivity is incredible. But yet on top of that, we have this rich inheritance that's poured out upon us. And we're sealed with this all-powerful living being. And when you combine those together, it's just, it, it's really kind of beyond our comprehension of how it is that we are seated in Christ. Remember, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we're dealing with identity, who you are, learning what it means to be seated in Christ, and knowing that before we walk, before we stand. You know, we are only a few verses into Ephesians. And the first thing that Paul articulates is that you're adopted, that you're redeemed, that you have this inheritance. But so far, have we seen any language in any way that suggests that you are not worthy? Or that you're just some dirty little sinner? Or that you were just an accident? Or that no one wants you? That you're unlovable? That you'll never get anything right? That it's impossible to stop trying. Or that that God's love somehow kind of fluctuates and rises and falls with your good behavior. We've seen nothing, nothing that implies any of those. And, And we're not going to. Because that kind of identity comes from the enemy and not from God. Stop tolerating lies in your head. Are you interested in what your true father has to say about you? Or are you interested in just kind of what some thug on the street has to say about you? If you want to know what your true father has to say about you, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. You are adopted to God. All the world is an orphanage. And he loves you dearly. And he adopted you into his family without you having to earn it. You are redeemed. You are ransomed. It implies that you were imprisoned and slavery, that Jesus paid the price so you could be set free. And church is just group therapy for sinners. You received an inheritance. God is so wealthy that he loves to give. And so he gives to you generously. And he expects you to give generously. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, who is a living, omnipresent being, who is all-powerful and all-knowing. And yet, none of this you earned. This is all a gift. It's all poured out because you said yes to Jesus. You are of such incredible value to God. Uh, Being a father has deepened my understanding of this concept really more than any other thing in my life, right? I love my kids not because of their productivity, but because they're my kids. Like when they bring me artwork, artwork, right? Or when they explain, hey cuteness, uh, or when they explain how the universe works, you know, or they give me a hug, I love it. And I compliment them. And I tell them that they're brilliant. And I hang their artwork on the wall. Because to my eye, it is beautiful. Okay? God's love for you stems out of his character and out of his being and who he is and it is not a response to anything you have done that same kind of love is true for god and how he sees you stop straining for god's favor and rest in the identity that you already have his favor amen amen Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth that you have embedded in Scripture for us to find and to revel in. And Lord, for all those who are gathered here, I pray that you would continue to teach us about our identity in you and what it means to be adopted and redeemed and sealed and and ransomed and this inheritance that you have poured out upon us, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bring these concepts up all throughout the week. Lord, show us how to live and, and work in our community with grace and how to share this remarkable news with those that that we encounter around us we worship you and we love you amen let's stand together as we sing lord i lift your name on high lord i lift